Welcome to 24 Faithful. We are excited today. We're going to be wrapping up season number five, our favorite season. And we are joined today by Bradley Adams and Joel Wood. And Joel Wood is on location. He is out in the field joining us uh, via satellite. And so it's good that he was able to join us. But at least, at least I am not calling from Gaithersburg, Maryland, which is where Bradley is calling from. Wow. Population I would, I would, I was gonna say I I'm not sure where that is in Maryland, but Maryland's pretty small, so well it's 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 in Maryland. That's all you need to know. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't I don't know where, but it's in there. Well, at least we're all together apart together. But we are here to talk about season number five. We talked about the last six episodes last week. And this week, we're going to be wrapping up, kind of hitting some of the things that we missed or didn't have time for, as we talked about for. We're still not going to get everything in. But uh, just based on Bradley's notes alone, we could probably talk about this for 10 hours. So uh, we're not going to do that in this episode. So we're going to start, though, by talking about Bjerko and Henderson. And so we talked about them some, but we kind of skipped over some of the things that that they did there, especially in the last part. We had it where there's the whole thing with the, the last canister of nerve gas. And I know Bradley has some notes here on that. It's a bit random, isn't it? You kind of, we got rid of the nerve gas at 10 p.m. All of it exploded, or so we thought. And everything sort of shifted towards who's the big bad? Is it Gardner betraying everyone? Is it, and then become obviously Logan is working against everyone and finding the recording and catching Henderson and all of this stuff. And then it kind of comes out of nowhere. The recording goes and instantly, like that, Bjerko's back and Bjerko has escaped and he's got a canister of nerve gas. It's a little bit random, actually. And I still think it works. The actual sub attack. Uh, the Russian submarine attack that he attacks to launch missiles at various targets is very entertaining. We get one of my favorite lines, actually, of his associates saying that we can't do much damage with one canister of nerve gas, and Bjerko just looking at him straight and going, you're so wrong, and it's true. Um, and, of course, the brilliance of uh, Petty Officer Rooney, who is one of those, we've, we've spoken about it many times before, characters that come in for one episode that you've never heard of before, you'll never hear of again completely irrelevant in most aspects but for the 10 minutes that they're on screen they're made to feel important and they're entertaining and they're among the more memorable characters and this with petty officer rooney certainly is one as well um i did a lot of i did a lot of thinking over the last week or so when i look over the entire season of 24 season 5 i think that in my opinion now this is probably the most evenly built up season of any show that I can remember watching, just from beginning to end. Mainly because of not only the twist and turns with the nerve gas canister, Logan, Henderson, but anything, if you're watching the season for the first time, just about anything that you thought in episode one you think the complete opposite by episode 20. Like, other than the fact that, you know, I thought in season four that Logan was a spineless coward. But other than that part, it just completely did a 180 from what I thought it was going to be at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Back to the the sub attack. Of course, when VR goes to do that, Jack and CTU enlist the help of Henderson for better or worse henderson has some (laughs) 
Well, that well with his help, they were able to stop it. So that was good, and Jack was able to do his next snap on Bierko, and Jack also gave Henderson an unloaded gun. <laughs> you knew that that was going to happen. I mean, Jack is not an idiot. I mean, that's been established. So he probably knew that there was no way he was going to give Henderson a chance to fire off that that weapon. So when he gave him that gun, he knew full well what the end game was going to be. He knew that, you know, once Henderson helped them stop the attack, that Henderson was going to run, was going to make a run for it. There was no way he was just going to take the deal he offered Jack and then just go a separate ways. Nor Mm -hmm. was Jack going to let him do that, even if he, even if he wanted to. As soon, as soon as, as Jack found out that Henderson played a substantial role in the death of David Palmer, Michelle Dessler, and the presumed death of Tony Almeida, you knew that there was no way that he was going to let Henderson walk out of that walk away alive. So I thought that that handing him an unloaded gun and Henderson to his detriment, you know, he's the one that trained Jack and to be so naive as to think that Jack was going to give you a loaded weapon, I just, eh, a little bit of a rookie mistake on his part. But then again, it's kind of, that's why he said, good for you, Jack, because Jack got the better of him. So it was kind of a, he knew at that point that he was dead. So it was kind of his way of giving Jack some acknowledgement before Jack put one in his chest. The funny thing about it is that throughout the season, whenever we see Henderson get a gun, he checks the magazine, he checks to see that it's loaded, and this is the one occasion where he sort of specifically doesn't, or not specifically doesn't, but you, they don't show him do it, it's not there, you know, it's not there, and there's a deleted scene actually on the season 5 DVD, which I've not watched in a very long time, uh, there is a scene where it's slightly extended on Henderson's death, and he basically just says that it was loaded when when Melina gave it to him because he checked it in the episode before Melina hands it to him and he checks the magazine and it's loaded obviously and he says in the deleted scene to Jack that I thought it was loaded Melina gave it to me loaded I think you're well, you're right about Jack Jack was never going to let him go obviously that's much is established in Henderson's death I think Henderson probably would have had had Jack been serious and I don't think Henderson ever believed that Jack was serious about letting him go. Had Henderson believed that he would, I think he would have just gone and let Jack be. I think he, I think his freedom away from Graham and the Cabal and, and Logan and everyone with his wife, I think actually that would have taken priority. Um, but like you say, it was never going to happen. Um, Jack, Jack doesn't take to people killing his friends and family particularly well. And he always seeks vengeance. We've seen that before. We'll see it again. You know, this this death is very Victor Drazen-like, isn't it? It's on a little bit outside of water, middle of the night. And Henderson, as Victor Drazen's did, his gun misfires. There's no bullets in it. Can't kill Jack. And Jack puts a couple in his chest. And it's as simple as that. It, Jack doesn't let things go. And... Henderson, like you say, once once he learned what he was involved in, Henderson had no chance of surviving. Well, it's 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 like the two differences there is that you know even though Henderson was involved in the deaths of 
David Palmer, Michelle Dessler, Tony Almeida. To Henderson, it was never personal. He did, he, he did what he was what he was paid to do. And because he, in his warped sense of, of loyalty, thought that it was best for the country. Jack, on the other hand, took it very personal, obviously, because um, he it was responsible for the death of three of his best friends, three of his only friends. So that's why I think if by some chance Jack would have let him go, he probably would have got would have left because it wasn't personal to him. So I think I think that, like I said, that's why I think that there was no way that Jack was going to let him go because when you when you're talking about personal, Jack doesn't do personal. He doesn't let personal go. So that's that's why as soon as Henderson revealed that he was involved. Even if you had never seen the season before, you knew that before the season was over, Henderson was going to die. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not anything that was a shock. And so I'm actually kind of surprised that Jack didn't kill him sooner in the season. But <laughs> yeah, so that, that was definitely not a surprise. But another thing I think we need to talk about is after the syntax nerve gas was released on ctu there was a an order sent from homeland security that they need to go over and basically take over ctu to be able because they were crippled they lost a lot of people and all that kind of stuff that took place and so they're coming in to take over all of that and that was being led by karen hayes and her wormy little sidekick miles and uh yeah yeah i don't think there's anything good about miles i mean he just looks like he's a sneaky guy that's only looking out for himself yeah so i mean it so 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 we we have this whole situation that that comes in and she comes in very hard and you don't like how she is and things like that and got me thinking about like several of the other um takeovers or i don't know what the best terminology would be where someone comes in either division comes in or whatever to ctu because there's been a compromise and they try to help and institute all the different things and it never works out well it always turns out that the core ctu people were probably better off not having the outside influence incredible how that always happens yeah it's almost like they're trying to tell us something that ctu is quite good yeah <laughs> I, we, we um when we did when we came back with the podcast and we spoke about our best and worst characters the fact that neither me or you josh mentioned miles is a bit of a disgrace actually because everyone hates miles surely he's just the worst in ev- he's he's the worst in all ways at every time ever like his second scene in the show is telling karen that they should be rolling up ctu now rather than waiting for some sort of transition or anything and then in the same scene, a second later, is really callous to Chloe about Edgar, who just died. And you're thinking, who is this guy? Why, you know, he's sort of Alberta Green, Marianne Taylor, all rolled into one and even worse. When you put on a list of least favorite characters of the entire series, if Miles is not in your top 10, then you haven't watched the series. 
<laughs> Miles should be in everybody's top ten of least or most hated characters. He's just he's smarmy. He's he's sneaky. He's he's one of those guys that you just just the looking at him, just looking at him makes you want to punch him in the face. He has he he just has one of those faces that you just want to punch. And from you know you know how some characters in Twenty Four they start off. You know, you start off not liking them. They start off on the wrong side of everybody. And then eventually they try to give them these little redemption arcs like Mason or Chappelle or, oh, Jesus, Aaron. They try to give them these little redemption arcs to make them a little bit more likable. That's not the case with Miles. He was hated from the first scene of him in the back of the car to the last scene when Karen slapped him in the face. No redeeming qualities, no likability, nothing except for the fact that you could not stand him. And uh, I, I would put him in my top five of worst hated characters. Just on, a simple, just on the simple fact that there's no redeeming qualities about him at all. They do almost, 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 almost give him a respectable arc in terms of we spent the whole time hating him yes but at least i think you can appreciate that he's loyal to homeland security he's loyal to karen hayes okay none of the stuff that he does we like because we are proceed to you we're, we're in support of all of these characters so the way that he pushes at audrey to go against bill and ctu is annoying the way he keeps on trying to impede chloe and audrey in helping jack is annoying uh, all of the other stuff that she does, that he does, and, and particularly to Chloe, don't like that. Fine, but then it comes to the point of the recording, and Karen loops him in, and you, there's a moment where you kind of think, and, and he even points out to her that he's been loyal to her for 20 years, and that he doesn't deserve this. And you kind of think at this point, okay, she's going to bring him in, and he could at least here just accept it. Karen, Bill, Chloe, Jack do their thing, and Logan comes down. And okay, he's not likable, but at least, at least you continue to see that he's loyal. And then he betrays her, and so you go, well, what's what is there to like about him? Even from any character's point of view, Chloe doesn't like him. Bill doesn't like him. Jack doesn't like him instantly. Obviously, Karen at least does seem to like him, and then he does that. And now what? When you see something like that happen, it kind of makes you wonder: Was he ever loyal in the first place, or was he just? place holding himself until an opportunity presented itself for him to move up into a higher position because as soon as he saw the opportunity to take care of himself and move himself into a higher position um, by helping out president logan he took it so it kind of makes you wonder was he loyal in the first place well she says that they've been working together for 20 years so i kind of you, okay, we don't see it enough because we only see, what, eight, eight, nine hours of him. But you kind of get the impression and, and the show makes clear to you that this is a thing. You kind of just have to take it. And then he proves that that is not at all true. So who knows? You, 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 say, you say only eight to nine hours like that, like eight to nine hours wasn't enough. <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolutely. It was far too many. <laughs> that was about five yeah. hours too much. And Karen, though, I mean, because she comes on and we don't like her at first, but I think for her, it's it's different than, than like a lot of the other ones that 
we've seen where there's Alberta Green and um, uh, Lynn McGill earlier and, and lots of the others where it's like they come in and they're taking over. It's like they're just there to exert their power. Karen Hayes is coming over. It's like, okay, you need to go over and help them. I think she legitimately felt like she was just trying to come in, do the right thing and help them and all this kind of stuff. And we just need to follow the rules and blah, blah, blah. And, but then as she started seeing, it's like, okay, there's something, something fishy going on. And so then she started switching her allegiance as it will, as you will. So it, so it was a little different than some of the others. And so you don't like her at first, but you quickly get switched over to where it's like, okay, she, she just didn't realize what was going on. With Alberta and with Lynn especially, and, and to a smaller extent, but still there with Mason and Chappelle, it's an ego thing. Like their, their egos are heavily inflated. Alberta wanted to use it as a power play. She wanted to become head honcho at CTU forever. Lynn, aside from being sort of heaped on with the pressure of, from, from Logan, just sort of the power trip we got back from, from Spencer early with Chloe, that he's just the worst person to work with. And he fires people left, right, and center. Okay, that's him. Karen doesn't have that ego. She comes in, like you say, she comes in, she genuinely believes that she's doing the right thing, that she can help. Um, obviously, she's been ordered to do this by Gardner and Logan. But she very quickly, when, when she realizes what is happening, she kind of abandons the pretense of working for Logan and working for the government and working in the way that they want her to and actually doing what she knows is right. I think that's, that is the one key difference is that she doesn't have this ego and she can understand a situation. She knows something's wrong the whole time and she doesn't just follow it blindly. Whereas I think previous directors have, and, and certainly Lynn earlier in the season, get their orders and they decide that they're right and don't think for themselves and think, oh, potentially like Miles, here's an opportunity. If I do this well, I could get promoted up the food chain. Karen just wants to do what's right. And I think that's it's why she actually ends up being a fairly okay CTU director and presumably why she ends up with Bill because they're very compatible. They're very similar people in the way that they approach running CTU and, and their work. Yeah, she, she, she ends up being very, very likable. I thought, I thought it was kind of... Uh a little humorous in the end, like the last episode when Bill asks uh, Karen if she wants to go eat breakfast or whatever, and she has to take a rain check because she has to do something. And um, she, so she basically reschedules. And to my knowledge, now I could be wrong here, but to my knowledge, I think that's the only time that Bill has smiled or laughed the entire series. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that, I just thought that was uh, to my knowledge. Think about it, Bradley. Yeah, I'm trying to run through Have like you seen him 70. Smile? I'm trying to run through like <laughs> 70 episodes in my head all at once here, Joel. This is not easy. <laughs> but it's kind of your specialty, so that's why I'm counting yeah. it. It, is, it has to be one of the few times, yeah. Maybe with Michelle in season four at some stage. So, I mean, it's, it's, I thought that was kind of a, a humorous part because you'll, you'll notice that, you know, like Chloe and Jack and Tony – um, Michelle does it a little bit more, but the main characters, you don't really, uh, I guess it's the nature of the job, but you don't really see too many, uh, smiles or laughs at them. So it's, it's kind of a, that was kind of a, took me back a little bit because it's kind of nice change of pace. Um, but Karen was always willing to, she wasn't like Alberta or Mason or 
Chappelle or many of the other people that were sent in to take over, she wasn't really, she didn't really want to take over per se. She wanted to coordinate and assist them into stopping those attacks. And if that meant that, you know, Homeland had to absorb CTU, then that's what she was willing to do. But taking over was not really something that she seemed altogether interested in, which is why she delayed it as long as she could until Miles just kept pushing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, because she, she was what, wanting to basically assemble the right, the, the best team that she could. Didn't matter if they were CTU or Homeland. They, she wanted to get the best people. So yes. yeah, absolutely. And so, but we've talked about Martha um, periodically throughout, but there's definitely several things that we can talk about more. And one thing that I was that I wrote down here was about her instability, because obviously she's very mentally unstable in different ways, and there's <laughs> different reasonings behind that. Um, I don't think she was as crazy as what um, we were being led to believe, but she does have a lot of instability. But especially like in the early part of the season, you have that whenever you hear her or see her or whatever, there's always like, okay, can we trust her? Can we believe her? And there, there's that question mark. So even though it's like we as the viewer, we kind of see the bigger picture. And so we kind of know, okay, she's not totally crazy, but but there's still that little bit of a question mark where it's like, eh, maybe i mean she, she might kind of go off the deep end and it might not be good when, when you look at the season as a whole knowing every bit of plot to it there's actually basically no moments where she is unstable where she's actually doing something that we the viewer knowing all that we know there's no really no point where she is to use the term crazy because you think, okay, at the start, she almost disrupts Logan's press conference. Okay, possibly veering towards it, but she knows that something important. There's something important with the da- with the David phone call. Then Walt Cummings and Logan portray her as crazy because Walt changes the phone recording, and then she's going on about it. And then she gets beat. She gets assaulted by Walt, and they try and send her off to the mental facility, even though she's not been wrong about anything up until this point. But Logan won't hear it. Cummings is trying to hide it. Logan, obviously, anyway, would find a way to cover it up. And then she seems... She, I mean, they talk about how she used to be his, his loyal advisor and how they used to work on everything together. And then we see that for various stretches of this season. And she's fine. And she has a moment of... Um, uh, I can't think of the word. Where she, she reacts really quickly and gets in and saves the Suvorovs or tries to save the Suvorovs. And even, you know... When she is, after Logan tells her about all of the things that he's done, she's very withdrawn, and this is probably the most in, unstable she is. But it's not a case of sort of mental capacity. It's that her husband has just told her that he was involved in the assassination of an ex-president and one of her closest friends, and also nerve gas, and also everything else that's happened. And I kind of think that no one would stay level-headed at that point. I don't know. Well, Martha's kind of a... At first, in the beginning of the season, I didn't like her. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. I didn't like her in the beginning of the season because she seemed a little out there. She seemed a little loopy. 
Um, so I didn't really, um, I thought that she was another, uh, how can I say it, plot device, so to speak, that she, that wasn't really going to serve a purpose. Um, but as the season progressed, um, I started to see more and more of, you know, she may not be as crazy as I originally thought. Um, because she was right about the phone call, but we hadn't heard the phone call until a couple of episodes in. So she could have had the phone call, but she could have had her own interpretation of how the phone call went. Um, but once she started putting it together, then I started to see more of uh, a fleshing out of her character, so to speak. Um, the way that she, the way that she jumped in the car with the Subarovs, knowing, knowing that her husband was basically sending them to be assassinated. And the fact that she jumped in the car showed that she was more than just um, crazy or a nut job, however you want to say it. Um, and I thought that that was, that was really the turning point in their relationship because I don't think that even before she knew that Logan was involved in everything that he was involved with, I think that that point when Logan refused to save her when she was in the car with the Subarovs, I thought that that was really the turning point in their relationship pretty much going downhill. I mean, they were they were strained before that, but I thought that that was kind of the beginning of the end of the uh, Logan and Martha relationship at that point. Because at that point, she knew that, okay, if he's, if he's willing to risk his wife's life, what else is he capable of? That's when you, as a viewer, that's what you started to think. Even if you didn't know Logan was involved with anything, if he's willing to risk his wife's life, what else could he possibly be capable of? Best way to describe Martha that I can think is that she's unpredictable. That's the key thing. That mm. in the same way, I, I, I've compared her in my notes to Sherry, and, it, and actually this entire season, um, it is sort of a, well, no, sorry, I've compared Logan, uh, Charles Logan to Sherry anyway. Um, but like, there is, there, there are, I think there are, actually comparisons to Sherry in the way that Sherry did things. She was far more reasoned in what she did, and there was a lot more calculating nefarious type with her. But ultimately, she wasn't predictable in the things that she did. Like, having Patty seduce her husband is unpredictable. It's, it's not in keeping with what you'd expect her to do at any point, from even in the, even the course of the story. And Martha is very much the same, but in a far more innocent and actual kind of helping way that she's unpredictable of going to the archive room and threatening the guy that runs it, of getting into the Sovereign's car to save their lives, of uh, lying to Walt's, husband, to, to Walt's wife about how he died to spare her feelings. You know, she all of these things, she set out something that she'll do beforehand and or or you know she doesn't have to do anything she can just let it be and she chooses to do something and throw herself into a situation or change the way she approaches the situation because of in the moment that's what she thinks is right and ultimately it makes it fascinating because you know certainly as soon as uh, charles is revealed as the bad guy and, and it's something he discusses with graham um he graham uses the term about pulling on a thread and unraveling everything and that's exactly what she's capable of doing because you don't know what she's going to do next who she's going to talk to who she's going to tell whatever she knows um so it does just make it absolutely fascinating 
yeah yeah very very good um comparison there and so she so so yeah i think that's a good description though that you had in that it's not that she's unstable she's unpredictable because i think that is a lot more true and maybe maybe a little bit unstable in that she reacts emotionally a lot more quickly a lot more often maybe than some of the others but um but again i mean i mean with everything that she's gone through i mean it's probably to be expected and so i mean apparently i mean prior to this season she had been on drugs or whatever to quote unquote help her mental condition but that probably messed her up and she stopped taking them and so she's probably has some kind of imbalance and stuff with some of that but i mean then she's being put in all these situations to where where it's like she's made to look like she's an idiot and and all that so yeah i think i think that that really is and so as, as you were describing that i was starting to think about it. i was like yeah that's true it's true. And Jean Smart is just magnificent the whole way through. The the whole way through. She has possibly the best introductory scene of any character. And then the stuff around the ambush, she's really good. And I mentioned last week that scene with, with Logan just before he tries to kill himself. It's fantastic in a very, very subtle, quiet way. And then the final two episodes, she was an Emmy nominated for those final two episodes and didn't win. But the the sort of the interactions with Aaron and the the faking of things with Charles to get him to stay and then of course the the stuff in the finale with him in the hangar and everything it's she's so so good and it's a shame that she's in what one episode of season six and it's kind of I mean we'll get to it but it's not a great yeah. appearance by any stretch this this is a fantastic example of how you can get someone in for one season. And, you know, Jean Smart, she's no slouch. She's she's a fantastic performer in so many things. And she comes in here and she is, you'd expect she's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I I, I like Martha, but I like Martha more because, even though she's a great actress, I like her more because of what it did for Aaron. Because, I mean, it's it's no secret that Aaron Pierce was one of my favorite characters. Um, Probably not in the top five, but easy top ten. Um, and through the first four seasons, you know, he had had a couple of little arcs here and there, and you kind of, you kind of knew that he was of good moral character, but season five was when we really got a meaty, um, um, stuffed Aaron story, like a real, some meat on the bone type of story. And that's what I enjoyed the most was, um, the dynamic between Aaron and Martha and Aaron actually standing up to Logan and especially during the interrogation when, or not interrogation, but the torture, when Logan came back to talk to Aaron and try to get him to basically see his side of things. And you know that Aaron has the utmost respect for the president, the presidency, and the government, the whole nine yards. But when Aaron sits there and basically tells Logan that he was a traitor to this country and he deserves to be brought to justice. And then he looks Logan in the face and says something to the effect of, is there anything else, Charles? And the fact that he called President Logan Charles at the end of it was just, I don't know, to me, I thought that was probably the the most impactful scene of the last little batch of episodes. Just because of what it showed for Aaron as far as how far he had come as a character and how serious the Logan thing was to the fact that he didn't call him president. He called him Charles. I think Aaron is the only character in the show who never does a single dislikable thing. Everyone else, even the ones that we love, 
have a moment where they do something that you can't support or you don't like. And I think Aaron's the only one who doesn't. I support everything that Tony Almeida does. Okay, so that sounds that sounded like he approved of everything he does in season seven. Okay, uh, bank that, that was, Josh. That was, and we're going to instead of actually not. having Joel on the podcast for season seven, we'll just play that audio. Um, and we know that, that he'll support is, Tony's terrorist nature in season seven. That's, that that's is, really helpful. Thank you. That is not the Tony Almeida that I know. That was you just said everything that Tony does. And I'm <laughs> I'm I'm convinced that that was a Tony Almeida. That was a clone. I am. I refuse to believe that that was Tony Almeida. And, and you cannot. And ult- ultimately, ultimately, Tony also called in Mason early in season one, so that's dislikable anyway. So forget season seven. He did what? The anyway. Mason <laughs> called in when when Jack was going off book at the start of season one. Called in Mason and was like, "There's uh, a problem here." Well, no, I I support that because he was going <laughs> by the book. <laughs> He was going by. He was going by the book. Jack was off the reservation. Yeah. It's too easy, but but yeah, I mean, I, I I agree that this season was like the Aaron Pierce season, um, to where I mean, like he really got a story. But 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 I, I think because uh, it's really a test too, because um, you see him in seasons one through four, and he's like completely supportive of the president, the presidency, and everything that's going on. First half of this season, you see that as well. But then as soon as he finds out that Logan is dirty, it's like, okay, I'm here for the presidency, but my my sworn oath is to protect this country as well. So he is going away from that, and so I can't support anything that he does. And so, yeah, then the just the fact that he went first name basis um, shows anything because Aaron Pierce... I, I don't know. Not very many people that he goes first name with. <laughs> For him, it's always Mr. or Mrs. So, he did, he did, yeah, he, definitely. He didn't, he didn't even go. He didn't even go first name basis with with uh, David Palmer, and he was as close to to President Palmer as he was anybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, because I mean, he he understand he understood the role. He had the respect and all of that, and so yeah, very very true. And so, it kind of reminds me of. Um, uh, was it season two with uh, between Mike and Palmer, and and Mike was routinely on a basis of calling him David, but then there got that to that point to where he he started turning his back on David, and he said David, he's like it's Mr. Palmer or it's President Palmer, and it's like oh there's a shift. <laughs> well, there was the I, so. I think I mentioned it at the time that there was the um. <laughs> The, the it's it's twelve to one a.m. in season two, and it's twelve to one a.m. in season five. That Mike mm. starts to doubt David's uh, plan and and the way he's responding to the the nuclear bomb, and he leaves the room without saying yes sir or Mister yes Mister President or something like that, some sort of a um, mark of respect, and he leaves, and and David clearly notices that something's wrong, and that ends up being all that it does, and you do end up getting that as you say that it's it's Mister President rather than David. And he does the exact same thing to Logan in the conversation about uh, it's just after speaking to Karen Haynes, I think, and how the military isn't the, the military contact he has isn't the one they even search for Jack Bauer. It's someone else. And they have that argument about him being in the loop and things like that. And he leaves that room without the acknowledgement. 
and then from there on in, you see it's a sort of slippery slope that he doesn't trust Logan. He knows something's wrong through to finding out exactly what's wrong. Yeah. And I think we've said it before, but this season, season five, is the epitome of 24. So when, well, I can speak for myself. When I think about 24, like season five is like the, like the, the what I think of with it as far as like the feel and the characters and all that kind of stuff. So you see all the action, the drama. You can see Jack's cunning and quick thinking throughout the, the season and pivoting to all the different things that's that's going on there but then you also see um there's also a pivot in his friends but all of his friends are in this season so in season four like the core of his friends were chloe tony michelle and palmer so of course they're in season five at the beginning they're not part of the the big story that's going on um but but then we start to see that other ones are kind of getting looped in. You have Curtis and Bill that's that's being brought in a little bit more at at this. And so it's it's kind of like like his core team, like like the ones that's like if Jack can trust anyone, it's like these people that he can trust. And so and so I, that that's one of the things that sticks out to me is those things there. Yeah. How how did that how did that trust work out for Curtis? Oh. That's next week's discussion. <laughs> but anyway <laughs> you, you are you are right like you are right this is and, and it comes down to as well i think things like the shot of jack running out of the gas plant with the fireball behind him it's things like that you think of and you go that's 24 it might not be you know it's not the the best scene it's not the most brilliant scene that 24 did there are so many but it's when you think of it and you go oh yeah that's kind of what 24 is it's Jack Bauer doing some insane thing, running away from or running into danger and, and saving the day and then running away f- from the explosion that follows it. It's that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And, you know, this season won the Emmy and you can see why. This is absolutely where they got everything right. We talked before last week about how I thought the only thing that, they, that doesn't quite work for me is Logan's uh, descent into lying and how the more we know he's lying, the worse he gets at it. But it also kind of worked in the, in the moment, and you get along with it, and Gregory, it seems great, and I don't think it detracts from the season at all. It's just one of those things that you look at and think, okay, that's not quite perfect. But everything else about this season, you, you just get absolutely absorbed by it. And I've had this, you know, I've, I've watched it more times than I can count, but it's very much, more than anything, and 24 sort of changed the game on this of binge watching and being essential that you don't miss an episode and that you watch it and, and encouraging you to watch it back to back because everything picks up where it left off. And season five, more than any other, I think for me anyway, is the one that I can go, I, I can jump in say at 1 PM and if say free evening and before I know it, I'm at, like 10 p.m. and I've just gone like nine episodes and just boom, 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 boom. That's it. Done nothing else, and I've just gone through that. And I think of all the seasons, this is the one that's most possible to do that with because you just get so engrossed in it. It is, it is relentless in its pace. Every single mm-hmm. moment, every single episode, 
you just get drawn in of edge of your seat. What's going to happen next? Are they going to save the day? Is what every time, every time, and it's just it's just brilliant. I, I absolutely love it. I think me personally, um, of all the seasons of of twenty four, to my knowledge, I think this is the only season where. I mean, yeah, what you said about Logan was correct, but you can't really find any flaws whatsoever in the season. Like, from beginning to end, it just, and it was just so jam-packed. Like, from episode one, like, within the within the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes, three of the main characters of the first four seasons were either dead or, or injured. So... It just it started off with such a bang, and it didn't really slow down too much throughout the rest of the of the season. And I thought that that was remarkable in how it it constantly. Of course, there were the, there were these you know there were filler episodes like there are in every season that's twenty four episodes long, but there were fewer of them in this season. Than in seasons previous. The key thing for me is actually that the filler story, like they acknowledge that it's filler. That doesn't make it that much better, but it helped because we talked before about the season four, the the robbery at the convenience store, and various other things, sort of multiple conversations about the same thing in CTU in the same episode, and how it kind of felt like they were filling time in in various moments, and. There are episodes in this season where there is clearly filler stuff. You know, the assault on the hospital, we didn't talk about that. The, the attack on the hospital is completely filler. It doesn't exist in the previously of the next episode. I'll talk a lot more about this in season six. Don't you worry. But <laughs> you have that episode where the nerve gas attack, it doesn't come off and it has no real bearing on anything. But from the get-go, Bielko highlights to, I can't remember the name of his associate that, that does it, a Victor, I think it is. But he says to him, this, is, this has to look like one of our key targets. We know from the first moment that we know that Bioha is going to attack this place, we are told this doesn't matter, really. It could kill people, yes, and CTU has to stop it, yes. But for the sake of the whole story, it doesn't matter. Bioko is doing this because something else has to happen, and this is a distraction. And I think that's the key difference between this and season four in the way that it handles its filler. Every time there's a reason for it. There is a, there is a specific reason that you can get on board with, and, and it's not Chloe's taking two hours to reposition the satellite. There's actually a logic to it. Some, someone has come up with this and said, from a character perspective, this is why this is going to happen, even though they kind of don't care about it. We're going we're gonna to prioritise something else, but that has to happen as a distraction, or this has to happen to get us to this point. And I think that's the key difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's, yeah, because there's, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about those filler things a lot, but, but yeah, there's, it's not yeah, much the, of it. It all fit. Yeah. In this one, it fits. They, they all fit. It, it's, it's per, pretty seamless between all the things that happen. It's not like a totally separate storyline, like with Kim and all that. It's like a totally separate storyline. It's like, okay, that's, useless has nothing to do with the main story that's going on it just gives gives her something to do and it fills time i would struggle to look at this season and pick out maybe more than five scenes 
maybe across the whole season that I could remove and say nothing changes in terms of plot or in terms of enjoyment of the season if I take this out. Nothing changes. You take out a minute scene here or there that's maybe a little bit unnecessary. Apart from that, that's it. That's it. Even, like I say, even that attack on the hospital, it needs to be there for the sake of the attack on CTU. The, the only the only scenes that I might remove um, because it wouldn't change my enjoyment and I didn't really think it added anything was the the scenes with Barry, I, I think that's his name, Kim and Jack. Um, aside from the initial meeting, because you had to have a scene with Jack and Kim where Kim finds out that he's alive. You have to have that scene. Because if you go through the whole scene and she doesn't find out he's alive, it just feels it just feels wrong. So you have to have that scene in there. Um, pretty much every scene after that, between Jack and Barry and Kim, it was good for an emotional point of view. But I could probably take those out, and it really wouldn't change the. Uh, the enjoyment or the structure or the makeup of how the season was laid out. That almost sounded like Kim praise. Well, that's about it. That's about as good as you're going to get out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we're wrapping up this season here season five next week we get the start into season number six. <laughs> We've already alluded to some of that. Hey. <laughs> Okay, oh. well, uh, we'll make sure to have some tissues, and I'll, I'll have to come prepared, probably with some some beeps to <laughs> leap out some of the things that Bradley has to say. Oh. But <laughs> pretty, pretty pretty much half, pretty much half the podcast. Can we can we jump to mid January when we're in season seven? Just no, nope, no, nope, I, I think I think I think I think I think we're good with this. I'm oh, I'm good. I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy it just to see the expressions on Bradley's face when we discuss some of these episodes. Uh, but anyway, so <laughs> it's, 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 it's going to be Joel and Terry, but worse. <laughs> I just, I just want to see the look on Bradley's face when we discuss some of the episodes and the, the brilliance, the brilliant acting ability of president Wayne Palmer. It's going to be great. Anyway, I guess that's a teaser for next week. So make sure you stay tuned, come back, uh, give us your feedback too. So if you have any thoughts on season number six, you can go to 24faithful.com and uh, contact us, or you can call 405-771-0567 and we can be able to get your feedback and would love to include that. Or you can ping us on Twitter. Do you ping on Twitter? I don't think you ping on Twitter, but anyway, you can send us a message on Twitter. <laughs> tweet us anyway so uh looking forward to being able to uh talk about it even though it is our least favorite by far and uh it's still 24 so i'm still gonna enjoy it so anyway with that we'll wrap up this week and we'll see you next week